Welcome to the Oceans Church Podcast. We pray that as you join us for this message, you are blessed, encouraged and empowered to bring the Kingdom of Heaven into your spheres of life. Great to be with you everybody. And have you got Jordan next week? Is Jordan here? So my youngest son is here next week. So he's awesome. Seriously, uh, yeah. You want to invite somebody next week? Geordie's awesome. So you'll, uh, you'll love him. He's a great man of God. And he's the youngest of our three. So got three sons, Sean, who's 34 this year. Not sing- He's single. Girls, see me after. It's getting a bit long in the tooth now. And then, and then I got uh, my middle son, Nathan, uh, who's a great business guy and involved in politics and uh, tells me he's in full-time ministry, not just me at the church. And then uh, Jordan's on our staff up in uh, June Love. So great to be here with you and greetings from my family, greetings from uh, Global Heart Church. And you guys, your pastors are like some of the best in Western Australia. So so the generation coming up in this generation, uh, Pastor Shaven and Jess, we've had a, quite a lot to do with. And uh, love them and quite a lot with, uh, to do with them now in Albany, which is so good. And uh, love them and love what's happening uh, at Oceans, both here and down in Albany. And uh, they're great people, so you're really blessed. I meet a lot of people, been traveling around the world for a long time, you know, lots of, lots of years involved in stuff overseas. But Shaven and Jess are two of the best you'll meet. And so can I encourage you, pray for your pastors, support them, encourage them. Because, uh, you know, the blessing comes on you when you get behind who God's placed there. And they're not just people, they're people that God's put here and planted here for what he's doing in Perth and in beautiful Albany as well. In Jesus' name. How good for you guys, you go on holiday to Albany, and there's your church, there's the gap, (laughs) there's the beach. So uh, great place to have a church uh, down south so you can holiday. Well, you can pretend you're going to visit the church, right? No, no. You go to church and then you're at the beach as well. So it's fantastic. Let me pray for you, everybody. Great to be with you. If you just want to, why don't you just stretch your hands out to the Lord and uh, just pray for everybody here tonight. Lord, just thank you for everybody here. And Father, thank you, Lord, for all the Oceans Church family. Just pray, Father, your blessing on everyone here. Lord, everybody who's away right now on holidays, we just pray, Father, be with them. Protect them and bless them. Give them journey mercies, Lord. And uh, Pastor Schaefer and Jess, Lord, and the kids, we pray bless them and refresh them while they're on break. And Father, pray for all the family down in Albany as well. Lord, bless everybody down there. Thank you for what you're doing in Albany. Thank you for that incredible provision of the building, the land, and the people, Father, in such a key spot in Albany. Lord, we just pray, Father, you will continue to cause Ocean's Church both in Perth and Albany, Father, to rise up, Father, to flourish, to be who you have called everybody to be. And Father, I just pray, Lord, um, fill everybody with great faith, Lord. I just pray new faith, great faith. Let everybody who's a new Christian, Father, fill them, Lord, with faith to follow you. And Father, I pray for all the leaders, refresh them, build them. Thank you, Lord, for a a breakthrough anointing on this house. And I pray for a breakthrough, Father, anointing, Lord, every week in church. And I pray for everybody right now, Lord, whether if they've got a struggle happening, Lord, we've all got one. But I just pray, Father, right now, whatever anybody's struggle is, I just pray, Father, breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray breakthrough. Lord, as they surrender to you, Father, as they follow you, as they lay down their life to follow you, Lord. Father, I just pray incredible breakthrough and blessing. And I just give you all the thanks and praise for what you're doing. Lord, draw people in, Father, all over this part of North Perth. Draw them in, Father, from everywhere. Lord, let people move here. Let people who've been here for decades in this area, let them all just, Father, let it be divine connections, divine appointments. Let them come, let them be saved, and let them be added. And Father, I pray you use everybody in this service. Let everybody speak. 
I declare every person in this service, Lord, a soul winner. Every person anointed now to win souls. Now, Father, I pray, let everybody be bold. And as they speak, let people be transformed in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I just pray it now. And I thank you, Lord, that one touch from you, Lord, and tag, we're it, we're saved. So I just pray, Father, use everybody here to speak in, Lord, and t- touch people. And let them be saved in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand, everybody? Just give the Lord a great hand. You can be seated. Just to give you an encouragement, we had a girl uh, get saved who was on the internet here in Perth. She's a top atheist, and she was actually on the internet trying to undo Christians from following Christ and stop people being Christian. So she was on the internet uh, and, uh, you know, declared atheist and trying to undo um, Jesus followers. Anyway, but she just suddenly saw one of her girlfriends from school was actually in our church. And she was going through a hard time, as all atheists do, with depression and everything else. <laughs> they do. And so she was going through that, and then she saw that her friend from school kept saying on, on the internet, oh, I love church, I love what's happening, I love what God's doing. And so she was fascinated that this girl was so happy all the time that eventually she moved from annoyance to interest. And uh, high annoyance to interest. So she said to her, look, I'm going through a really hard time. The atheist girl said, can I just come and sit in the vibe of this happy place that you have and just hope the vibe gets on me? And anyway, so she goes, yeah, sure. Come and sit in the vibe and bring your atheist self, you know. So she came to church. And when she walked in the door, came around the corner, God spoke to her. And uh, up in June, she walked in the door and God said to her, sit down, I'm going to speak to you. And then she heard this, like, what? And she sat down in the service, and the moment the service started, she said she had the presence of God come on her. And uh, so, yeah, so most amazing. So as the service went on, the end of the night, um, <laughs> she came to my office the following week, and uh, she just said to me, they uh, gave that, you give that thing where people can become a Christian? She said, I looked over at my arm, and it was in the air. <laughs> and she said, I wondered what it was doing. And, uh, and she said, oh, wow, that guy has noticed me. <laughs> Uh-oh, I'm praying with him, right? So, so anyway, so she ended up coming in on the prayer line to get saved and, uh, and gave her life to the Lord that night. So, yeah. So as an intellectual atheist, she came, made an appointment to see me and came in and said, now, Pastor Jared, God's really touched me last weekend in your church. This is amazing. And I said, great. So she said, I've only got for you today 300 questions. Can we do that? 300. I said, I can't do 300, but we could maybe do 50 with a quick roll. She goes, okay, let's cut it back to 50. Anyway, so I've gone through the 300 now, you know, and uh, and not, uh, I don't know how how I answer them all, but I went through them. So, uh, but anyway, she's in church and she's uh, married a guy who she led to the Lord. And now uh, he had children from his previous uh, relationship. His wife's passed away. And then the children are in church serving God every week as well. So from one person who, uh, you know, let their light shine on Facebook, basically. And uh, so I encourage you, let your light shine, but do speak because God wants to do something great through you. So Sue and I, uh, both of us, we're not from Christian backgrounds, and I always like to tell people that, because they usually think if you're a pastor, everyone in your family is a Christian, you've always been here. We're not from Christian backgrounds. So my wife is engaged to a clairvoyant medium. Uh, she's from London originally, and so she was uh, 
Uh, he, yeah, he used to um, go to spiritist meetings and occult meetings and all kinds of stuff. Great friends with Kate Bush, for those who know her. And uh, she was kind of involved in that back then. And uh, my wife was doing astrology and then came to Australia as a last-minute holiday before she married him. And, uh, and then I had just got saved. I resisted Christianity, fought with my family, thought they were crazy, and I uh, was very aggressively not going to become a Christian, let alone a pastor. <laughs> And so, so I always say, if God says, tag, you're it, tag, you're it. Uh, but anyway, but my wife came to church and then she's a musician. She's very musical. So my three sons are. And uh, in the service, I, actually, she stayed with her step auntie, not even her real auntie. And uh, I had a holiday for four months. At the end of it, she tried to pay her step auntie some board. And her auntie said to her very cleverly, Sue said, I need to give you something. I'm going to give you this money. And her auntie said, no, I'm not taking it from you. And then Sue said, I have to. I've been here for four months. And she said, no, I just want you to do something for me. And her auntie, and Sue says, I'll do. What do you want me to do? She goes, I want you to come to the youth ministry at our church and come to two services. And my wife goes, what's a service? <laughs> Anyway, from that, she ended up uh, saying, for sure, whatever, you've been so kind to me. The auntie was very clever, right? And, uh, and so Sue came to church, and then that, uh, she was like 18, and then they were playing music, um, maybe 19, very broken family like me, both of us from really broken backgrounds. And the music they were playing suddenly took her back to when she was a seven-year-old girl in England in religious education uh, near Easter when Jesus died on the cross. And she remembers this, them giving out crosses to the children. She was seven. She's now 19. And, uh, and the song they played now, uh, not now, but when, when she got saved, was uh, the chords of the song about Jesus, this man who died on the cross for her. And suddenly she was a seven-year-old girl again feeling sorry for this man who she didn't know who it was. And then they described who it was at church. The song was about Jesus and about him dying and rising. And uh, Sue, again, the Holy Spirit fell on her. They'd only been praying for her for two years. And, uh, and then Sue in the service as well just got overwhelmed with the presence of God. And, uh, and do pray for people, everybody, because my wife got saved. And then my mother started a church prayer group for me with nine people in it because <laughs> I was so bad. And, uh, and this, that's a true story because uh, my... Yeah, I was so resistant to God, so, so bad at the time. So my mum would actually have the prayer group go into my bedroom, pray for my curtains, my blinds, my bed, my pillow, my clothes, because she told them that I was so bad that I needed everything prayed over, and, um, and which was pretty true, really. Anyway, so, um, anyway, so then uh, through a miracle story, I, got, I became a Christian as well. So, so Sue and I are both very grateful because we we're not in any way thinking we'd ever be Christians. And then today, we're still amused all these years later that God said, hey, when I save you, I didn't just save you to let you, you know, live your life and then die. I saved you because I got a purpose for you. I saved you because I got a purpose for you. So everybody here, I want to encourage you, God's got a purpose for you. God's got a purpose for you. You're significant. Everybody here, you're significant. What will the devil do to you all day? He'll tell you you're not. What will he do to you all week? He'll tell you you're not. So I want to encourage everybody, you're significant, but here's what we need to do. And Sue and I had to learn to do this. We've been doing it for decades now. Agree with God. <laughs> agree with God. Can I encourage you? Start to agree with God. And uh, don't listen to yourself. Speak to yourself. If you want to be a successful Christian, stop listening to yourself. Because most of what I say to myself is negative, <laughs> complaining, judging, and I had to stop speaking to myself. I sorry, start stop listening to myself a long time ago, and say, "Listen, be quiet," and start speak to myself and say, 
uh, we're serving the Lord. It sounds a little bit schizophrenic, but it's actually quite okay. <laughs> we are serving the Lord. Start praising God. So can I encourage everybody, start to praise the Lord when you don't feel like it. Start worshiping God when you don't feel like it. Start declaring God's goodness over your life. Don't, uh, don't be led by how you're feeling. If you're led by feelings, get ready for a roller coaster for the rest of your life. Because I don't know about you, but I feel different things every three seconds. <laughs> so, so I did, I was up preaching in June that one morning, had a big service, and I said, everybody, you know, a lot of us are feeling led. I said, well, actually, right now, I really feel like going home and watching the AFL game and eating pizza. So it's been good. <laughs> and I walked off the stage, people were like, oh, and I said, but because I spoke to myself as I walked towards the back, I realized you didn't need to preach it. We've got no one set up. So I came back on stage. <laughs> but I can't live my life by feelings. I have to live my life by faith and decisions based on the word of God in Jesus' name. So I can't help but talk to you about church building because I'm a church builder. And uh, so you're going to hear from me. But soon I, we didn't know what God was going to do with us. But I ended up in Bible college. Then I ended up, <laughs> bizarrely, the pastors at the church offered me a job, which was extremely bizarre. Because I kept warning them, uh, really, Sue's, that's her background. And my background's worse. I don't think you want us as intern pastors training at this church. And they're like, no, no, we do. I'm like, no, no, you don't. <laughs> and... Uh, but what we did is we learned over the years that really God would um, use us to help break, break through and build churches and get them established. Uh, and we've done that for a lot of years. So I believe in this house here, there's breakthrough people. Uh, Miss Praise and Worship Lady, I don't know your name. Micah, you're a breakthrough lady. So you're a breakthrough lady. Yeah. So the enemy will annoy, he'll annoy you because you're a breakthrough lady. You know what I'm talking about. Ignore his. If you ignore him, he'll drop away. But he doesn't like you because you've got breakthrough on you. So when you were leading today, it was breaking through in the, you know, in the spirit realm. So, so keep going. Keep going. You know, um, you have a kingdom purpose, and here's what the devil will fight you. He will fight you to stop you discovering your kingdom purpose. He'll fight you. He'll fight you. For, if you're in praise and worship, he'll fight you. If you're going to be a preacher, he'll fight you. Different levels, different devils. So the devil will fight you to stop you. He tried to fight Sue and I because the last thing he wants is Miss Clairvoyant <laughs> and Mr. Psychotic, which is pretty, pretty well where I was, getting together, being pastors, and now speaking. Because we've come from such a broken place, now we're able to help people. So the enemy's like, no, you can sit down and shut up. And I want to encourage you ready here. You need to say, no, you can shut up. I'm getting up. Everybody at Oceans, we need you to get up. We need you to get up and get going and get passionate and get determined and tell yourself, hey, hey, stop the roller coaster. Start praising God. As for me and my household, we'll praise the Lord. As for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord and uh, we'll actually leave a significant mark. So Sue and I from generational brokenness, here's the list in our family, mental illness, depression, immorality everywhere. Uh, my poor auntie was so unwell mentally that she actually, to have her friend, have the phone book, she, in the days we had the phone book, she actually thought it was too hard opening the phone book, so she wrote out A to L on the wall. Poor love, she's so mentally unwell. But we had, in our families, we had so much craziness. Um, and dysfunction, which is all because people are suffering generational pain. It's generational pain. My dad was a terrible alcoholic. It's so aggressive, so violent, so crazy. 
And, uh, and so what does God say to me seven years ago? Start a recovery center for drug addicts and alcoholics. I told God, start it yourself. <laughs> so, get Kingdom City. Where's Riverview? Riverview. Start the rehab. I am not doing that. And then God reminded me, Jerry, you overcome evil with good. You overcome evil with good. So the very thing that set out to hurt and destroy me, God reminded me, your dad was a victim of his dad's pain. Who was a victim of his dad's pain. Who was a victim of his dad's pain. So my dad wasn't setting out to do it on purpose. It was just he didn't know what to do with his pain. Hurt people hurt people. So that's why we've got to come to the kingdom and say, Jesus, help me now to get healed from that. So Sue and I prayed. We were teenagers, <laughs> 19, 20, started dating. Then we, 21, got engaged, and we were like, well, Lord, uh, you know, we've become Christians now. Have your Bible works. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hope this, uh, this whole Christian thing uh, works. So anyway, here we are. We've got no else to go. So, you know, besides the clubs and, and crazy and occult. Anyway, but we said, okay, Lord, if you can do something with us, use us and take us. And Sue and I step up and say, we're here to, to follow you and help build your house. And Sue and I now, all these years later, decades later, we're like, so everybody hear this. So we started there. And now we can tell everybody here, if you follow him, really follow him, he's, he'll be true. He'll be true. So in one generation, our three sons are so functional and healthy and strong. It's like crazy. 34, 32, and 30 nearly. And they're so functional. They're conquering. Uh, my two youngest sons got most, I don't know where their wives come. Sue and I like, how did this happen? These girls are like, where did they come from? Like, amazing. Three beautiful grandchildren. But our children are really healthy, spiritually, relationally, mentally. And, uh, you know, and, and each would say, I'm walking in a relationship with the Lord, but I'm actually walking in my purpose for which God designed me. So my, Sue and I, our role is not just to get our kids to church. It's to help get them to destiny. Parents, remember this. Take this down. Tell your children all throughout their lives, we're called as a family. Tell your children. Why do many people lose their children? Because the children never understand from mum and dad, we're called as a family. So what are parents got to do? Here was Sue and I, the dysfunctional duo, now having to set a sterling example of faithfulness for our kids. Love God. Love his house. And now our boys are so healthy. My siblings, right, there's five of us. You ready for this? Due to my dad's abuse, we all live around the country. We don't live anywhere in each other, near each other, five children. When you have an alcoholic parent, it's just, it's a, it goes on, uh, you know, it's a known fact that families just split. They split everywhere. Everybody's so burnt. The siblings are. So we're five of us around the country. So my three boys, you ready for this? They live, one lives five minutes, one minute lives six minutes, and the one who lives long distance, it would be eight minutes from our house. I said to Jordan, who's preaching next week, do you guys think you could kind of like give me and your mother like a little bit more space, you know, like a little bit further than eight minutes? And this is Jordan. Dad, this is the functional generation. Uh, yeah, leave, leave that behind, Dad. Functional generation. We may move closer. <laughs> I'm like, oh, gee, wow. So, so everybody, it's so great now. So our lives now are so rich and full in one generation. One generation, one generation. But here's the kicker. How do you, what, do you, what is God looking for us to be like in order to break through, be in your kingdom purpose, and for the church to be what the church is called to be? You've got a purpose in the house, 
and a purpose out of the house. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, the one time, take this down to read, he's a leader here, the one time Paul spoke to the five ministry gifts, one time, most Christians miss it, most pastors miss it. Uh, I know, because I'm with, I'm with them and they all look at me like, what? In Ephesians 4, Paul says one time to the pastors, prophets, apostles, teachers, evangelists, here's what he says, equip the saints. He didn't say get an Instagram account to show your holidays in Mauritius for any leader. Any That's, even though you can do that, but, and, or here's me preaching on the stage, here's me there. No, no, no. The main role for pastors, leaders, prophets, teachers, evangelists is to equip you for your ministry. For, for Jesus, it's not even about how big our church is. A lot of people think, oh, man, if I have this big church, people are tithing and then lots of bums on seats, then I've done it. And Jesus is like, no, that's not it. It's the fact that the body of Christ is being equipped for your purpose in the house of God and then your purpose out of the house of God. Everybody, now here's where, if you start to head towards this, devil will fight you day and night, tooth and nail. So I got a young, a young guy in our church, a young adult came to me last week. He goes, Pastor Ed, I've so captured this now. And I go, what's that? He said, I am called to be in the worship team at Global Heart Church. It's my spiritual calling in God's house. And then my calling, and also to help with young adults. And he said, then my calling in the community. I know it. I'm called to be a nurse at Fiona Stanley. I'm in my calling there. So he says, that's my calling out there. And that's my calling in the house of God. So Ephesians 4 says, pastors, teachers, leaders, apostles, prophets, events, equip ready for their works of service out in the community. My middle son, he has two businesses. He runs our business ministry, which is really our marketplace ministry. Everybody's in the marketplace. He runs that. Then he's also in our worship team in the church. So he's the one who says to me, excuse me, Dad, I'm in full-time ministry. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's like, I said, and here's what I said to him. Yes, you are. You are in full-time ministry. You're in the marketplace. He's got uh, 10 speech pathologists that work for him and his wife. His wife's a speech pathologist as well. He's got, an inter- he's got an international company where he's got seven consultants around the world. He's that guy, but he's like, I'm in my ministry. This is to finance the kingdom of God. This is to impact the business world. I was at a top business lunch with him this week. I'm really enjoying him having given birth, my wife giving birth to him. Because he takes me the best lunches and he's getting really rich. And I said, hey, when I'm old, remember me. But anyway, so, so, but he, um, he's like out there. And then at the dinner table here in Perth, top dinners, he's like with two guys sitting down with him about the Lord. And then he did a business deal with one of them. <laughs> he's not that silly. He, he got the deal done too. But he's sitting down with him about their lives. And he's like, Dad, I'm in full-time ministry. Gee, I'm business with it, busy with this. But he's also a businessman. Everybody... Works of service in the community, and then the building up of the body of Christ. Most people get it wrong. They don't, they don't understand that you are called to be a part of the church, carrying, serving, doing something within God's house. When, if you get that, like the other young guy who said, hey, I'm in the worship team and I work with the young adults. All right. And my ministry is a nurse of Afghanistan. I'm there. If you get that, if you get that, now you, you'll struggle to get it because the devil's going to get lost. Because if you get it, then your children will get it. Then your grandchildren will get it. My three sons are all in church every week. One son's in Melbourne. And they all know their kingdom purpose in the house and then out of the house. So here's how the enemy gets into families. You'll see one generation of Christians and the next generation, where's your kids? And they're like, oh, we're binding the devil. We're binding Satan at the minute past year. And I'm like, oh, no. Because here's what happens. If you have purpose in your life, the devil struggles to get into your life 
Vision overcomes temptation. Vision overcomes temptation. You've got to have vision. And that's why, you know, you be very careful that you've got God's vision, not your vision. Somebody in Bible college said to me, Jared, what's your vision? I was so dysfunctional. It was the worst thing they could have ever ask me because I came up with this complete load of proud rubbish. <laughs> that just was ridiculous. And then later when somebody asked me my vision and I said it, it was like, ever, you've been in a conversation with somebody who's like a lead balloon kind of hit the ground? That was what I said. And then they went, I don't think you're called to that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, maybe not. Even as I said it, I thought, but I've been working on it for two years. So we've got to ask people too around us, what do you see? What's the wisdom there for my life? What's, what do you think God's calling me to? But if you and your children get into the purpose that God has for them in the house and out of the house, the devil will struggle to get into your family. He will struggle. And that's why mums and dads in the, in the creche, in the kids' church, start telling, teaching your children, we're called as a family. But then you have to model it, be up and active, model service, model care, model loving. My boys fell in love with our church people because soon I told them, this is our extended family. And they, so they grew up honoring everybody in church, loving everybody in church. So mums and dads, if you don't tell your kids that, they're just like, oh, yeah, it's Marriott, Oceans, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but it should not be whatever because your children will miss out. I hope there's no Mary here, right? Ah. <laughs> uh, Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> well, it's not only Mary. She's amazing. She's in kids. But your children will grow up with great honor and great love and respect for God's house if you model it, if you model it. So now we're excited because our boys are in their purpose. So, and then my grandchildren already, I've <laughs> my two-year-old grandson, oh, my gosh, he's going to preach that boy. He arrives at our house, he's 18 months old, and he's out in the, my wife and I are sitting on the lounge in the house, and I hear, Nanny, Papa, I'm here. <laughs> I say to Sue, this kid preaching, oh my gosh. But, uh, <laughs> but already, I'm thinking about the next generation. We need to think about the next generation, everybody. So we've got to impact them. You know, how, how, do, um, how do you keep growing in God's house? How do you keep staying in God's house? I'm sure here, like every church that, you, that starts, all these people come in excited. Yay, Oceans is here. <laughs> Yay, Global Heart Church is here. And then about three months later, it's like, where'd they go? A year later, where did they go? What happened to them? And then we're like, then what's what we do is, I wonder which leader offended them. <laughs> can you tell I'm a church planter? Yes, you can. So, but I'm going to teach you the reality of what's actually happening here so you can learn. Because at the beginning when you start church and you get it going, many people come in excited, but they also come in hurt from previous places. You bring your hurt in. They come in wounded from life, me and my wife. We come in, some of us have been in churches where it's all about opportunity. And uh, I'm always fascinated by that in your generation. What a fascinating generation you've all been saved in. <laughs> Everybody's talking opportunity. And uh, when Jesus says, here's your opportunity, lose your life. Lay down your life and you'll find it. It's like, what? It's this crazy oxymoron. Lay down your life and then you'll find it, right? Whatever. 
But that's the way God does it, where we're like, hey, I'm looking for my opportunity. Maybe if I get to know them because they know somebody in Melbourne, then maybe I can be there. Hey, that's not what God does. Because what many Christians end up doing, all of you have been around a little while, there's so many Christians who are living Ishmael lives. They're not living Isaac lives. Does that make sense? You all went silent. Wow. So many Christians are leading Ishmael lives. Ishmael means you're doing things that God never touched. There are good ideas you can come up with. Then there are totally God ideas, which God comes up with, which are supernatural and amazing. But I meet so many Christians and I'm like, how did you end up here? Oh, we like the beach. And oh my gosh, they had a nice crèche. <laughs> um, yeah, it was five minutes from home. <laughs> this is Christians, right? What? What? <laughs> What has that got to do with what God's doing? Because if it, because the kingdom you are now in, if you're a Christian, is supernatural. Yeah. And Sue and I have been out walking this for decades, this supernatural life, but it's not from us going, what a work for you and me. You're kind of London. <laughs> I'm the Sydney guy. Maybe we should go halfway somewhere. Actually, I really do like Barcelona. <laughs> I really do. So... <laughs> Anyway, actually, I've told God to send me to Barcelona. He's not listening. They have tapas and they have like that dancing thing. It's very, very cool. So where did God take me for 19 years? Uh, Eastern Europe. Kiev, where the war is, actually. From 1991, just when communism collapsed. They're in Bible colleges. They're in schools. They're building church. And I'm every year, Lord, do you not understand? Barcelona is for me, Kiev is not for me. And then God goes, go to Kiev. Everybody, don't lead an Ishmael life. Ishmael means things that you birthed yourself, things you birthed by the flesh. Good ideas, but not God ideas. Good ideas, but not God ideas. So I went, I was excited about London because I'd never been there. And then Hillsong Church sends you and I to start London Hillsong. Oh, so excited. Then I got there and I went, this place rains all the time. <laughs> These people aren't chatty, like Sydney people don't stop talking. And I'm like, oh no, my neighbours don't even speak. They're all so silent. And then I went, Lord, you made a mistake. <laughs> like, yeah, big mistake here. You know, you need to get somebody from Riverview or Kingdom City. No, it's not for me. And then God goes, no, no, I've called you. But the miracle of that will be through laying down your life. The miracle of what? God wanted to do through London Hillsong, which was a miracle, let me tell you, was when Sue and I said, okay, Lord, we fully surrender to you, though every year I wanted to go home. And then, but I prayed every year, every day in a park for a year. No one said to me to do it. Lord, send creative people into this church. London is so, this is 1992, 1993. There's no creative people here in the churches. This, but the city's full of them and young people. And so for a year I prayed every day bring them in. And I was like, Lord, are you there? <laughs> are you real? <laughs> Did I imagine that salvation? What happened here? Because everybody we were having in church was unwell people. Everybody coming to our church, there was a lot of people who were really dysfunctional and unwell. And so I was excited about the London vibe. And we had the psychiatric unit vibe, <laughs> which, was, which was fine. Because Sue and I both understood it. Because we'd our families have so much issues. So the Lord had us there. 
loving on all these people, but I was like, where's the creative people? Then a year later, knocking on the door, I was praying every day, and then a woman who was starring in Fame in the West End, a black American lady, I just knocked on the door with a friend of mine and told her we'd start a church down here. Love it if she came. She's like, honey, I can't come. I'm in a show till 3 a.m. in the morning in London. And I said, why don't you get up? Come on, set the clock and just come along. And sit and try and come up tomorrow. She's like, oh, I can't. Anyway, I gave her some music from church. She played the music, thought we were nice. And she set her alarm after being in fame, came to church, got saved. Then her husband, who was traveling with the lead singer of the platters for those who are old, he was the, the new version traveling around the UK. He came, he got saved. Then their daughter, who was, had three number one hits at the end of the 80s in London, she came a year later, she got saved. And she would have brought 100 creative people, including Simon Cow from Britain's Got Talent. He came to our church twice <laughs> for half a service. And it was pretty radical back then. I was a lot younger and a bit, bit more edgy. This is the healed me. Anyway, um, and Simon Cowell said, oh, these people are completely mad. <laughs> but um, it ended up having the Hillsong Choir on Britain's Got Talent many times. And, uh, and he, he got really touched uh, by people who ministered to him from our church. Anyway, so the reminder is, again, that was an Isaac Everybody, you're meant to be doing the Isaac. Guess what Isaac's like? Costly, broken, painful, challenging. Is this, we'll get to the good part soon. <laughs> Stay with me. But the Bible teaches it, and Sue and I had to discover this. It says this, Psalm 51. The sacrifice you desire, God desires, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So God, sacrifice God desires is a broken spirit. So when I had to go, Lord, <laughs> help us to break to you and your will. And the Bible says he doesn't reject anybody who's broken and repentant. What does that mean? Both of us, even though we were young, we were, I was full of incredible self-will and rebel stuff. And Sue had us. And we had to say, Lord, help us. We're turning to you. And then the, as we came to God with that broken heart, God said, I receive you. And now I'm going to bless you and I'm going to use you. Look at Psalm 147.3. For all the brokenhearted people who come to him. We were brokenhearted young t kids who came to God. We were brokenhearted from what we'd been to in our family. Psalm 147.3. For all the brokenhearted. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. This is why all the girls, you'll love this. My wife, when I married her, she was a broken little girl. Her father left her when she was eight. Went off with the sexy secretary, then left her, went off with the next sexy secretary, then ended up number four. She's a Christian, hallelujah. But um, he left my wife and her sister at seven. Both of them took it so badly. So my wife was shattered by that experience. And then now she's come to Christ and she's a broken girl. And I'm, I'm you know, Superman, come to rescue her. And then about 15 years in, my wife says to me, hey, um, you can drop the rescuing now. And I went, sorry, what? She said, I'm not a broken old girl anymore. The Lord's been healing me. So she said, you can drop the Superman deal. She goes, I'm a woman of God. So I went, wow, gee, alrighty. So she said, uh, just remember that, but you don't need to rescue me. I'm good to go. Anyway, and then I thought, I preferred you when you were dysfunctional. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, my wife now said to me, I'm getting healed. I'm not staying here. 
I'm going to be a, a woman of God and I'm going to get God's full healing. And so she started reading all these incredible healing books. And then she'd go to me, oh, I'm in chapter nine at the moment. It's all about you. <laughs> so here's Sue and I, the broken children. And God's going, yeah, I'm going to heal you. And he's saying to me, I'm going to heal you and I'm going to use your wife. No, use someone else. <laughs> so she goes, hey, chapter, chapter nine, chapter nine. It's good, but actually you should read the whole book. <laughs> so Sue and I were on a journey together and we had to learn to not reject each other as we're getting healed, not run from each other, not burn each other. And so at the end of this year, we've been together 38 years. First couple in our family. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. And we still smile at each other because we know, wow, one, we still have issues to work through. doesn't end. You're still recovering if you've been through a big childhood. But God graces you and he's healing you as you go. And we are not those people. But we're still wise enough to realize, hang on, no one's perfect. And if you lived in, if you lived in that life, you'll still be working with that. Anyway, but the Bible says to us, everybody, James chapter 4, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you are humble, God will grace you. What's grace? Unmerited favor. Did you know we don't deserve God's favor? I don't deserve God's favor. Neither do you. But God says, I'll give it to you um, when you humble yourself before me. You know, if you go around churches around Perth, around Australia, you will see people and you meet people and you're like, hey, how, did you get saved here? And they're like, oh, no, I was in this church and I was in that church and I was in this church. I'm like, huh? Okay. So, and I get that all over the world in London, in Sydney. Can I encourage everybody? Do you know how you know you're getting well and how you've humbled yourself? You ready for the revelation? Here's the revelation. You stay planted for the long haul with people. You, that's how you know you've humbled yourself and you have surrendered to the Lord. Because God can't do everything, anything in our lives where every time... Uh, he's trying to grow us, use the church, where we go, I can't believe what she said. I can't believe. Oh, gosh. Oh, you have got to step there. Anyway, I, I fell in a baptism pool in Sweden once. Don't, don't, I'm not laughing. Um, and don't laugh. But I can't believe what he said. Listen, everyone. You have to move at some point beyond being scaffolding who visits churches and become the building. Many Christians wonder, why, Lord, is it not happening? God's like, because you're scaffolding. Do you know the metal scaffolding you see at building sites? You, a lot of people are in churches, and you're just like the metal scaffolding up against the wall. It's just kind of there, you know, and, but you didn't quite make it into the building. And so guess what we do? Then we're off at Review. Then we're at Kingdom City. We don't go to Global Heart because we know... Your friends with Jeff, Jess and Chafe. <laughs> Don't go there. But we're, we're scaffolding when we're meant to come to the building. And one of the greatest things for Sue and I now is that we've been at Global Heart here for 25 years at the end of the year. 25 years. Through storms, through challenges, through people walking, through people going crazy, through amazing days, through blessed days, through supernatural days, through our church now rising up and giving $1 million every year for compassion sponsorship. $1 million for compassion in Rwanda. 
But if I had a left, we would have missed having a church that gives $1 million every year. So we've given now $10 million to Compassion in the last 10 years. That's 10 years. But if I had said, oh, you know, I've been in London and you guys in June love creatively versus London. I kind of, I need to go back to London because London gets me. Everybody, that would have been my pride. Because the Lord didn't call me to London beyond the years I was there. He said, no, shut the door now. Shut the door and be here in Perth. Be here in Perth. From 1998, soon I've been here. We got here and my wife was like, oh my gosh, after London, <laughs> it's a lot quieter. <laughs> and uh, then, now it's too noisy. We need some of you to, no. <laughs> but now it's, uh, it's changing all the time, right? But back then it was so quiet. And we were having a big, and I, here's what I said, which is what some of you say, you ready? Lord, I don't really know if I relate to these people. Don't know if I really relate to this home group. Don't know if I really relate to this church. Not sure if I relate. Here's what the Lord says. I never asked you to relate once. God said to me in Zoom, never asked you to relate once. Because when I got here and I was in June up in 1998, and I, we started church. Anybody here play a guitar? Maybe it was like, <laughs> keyboard, anybody? It was like, Anybody sing? <laughs> okay, right. No, there was not a hand at all. It was like a tumbleweed rolled through. <laughs> I was like, Lord, what? I've been in London. And the Lord's like, yeah, nice. And I said, I don't know if I relate. And God goes, I never asked you to. I asked you to serve the people here. This is, the next, this is your next Isaac. But it's not going to come through what you want. It's going to come through what I want. And so from that, that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. So can I encourage you to read the miracles to be found in sacrifice, in service, in saying, Jesus, help me to learn to be planted, not be scaffolding at Riverview, Kingdom City, Hillsong, Global Heart, don't come to us. <laughs> but, but you want to be the building who's helping play your part in the body of Christ. Ready look at me? Play your part in the body of Christ. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right, I'm going to hurry now. So, so, so the Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Some of us realize this, God will resist us. Did you know God, you can be Christian and God's resisting you? You can be Christian and God's resisting you. Sometimes we're hearing at church all the time, oh, you're amazing, you're amazing, you're amazing. And God's like, yeah, you're amazing, but I'm resisting you. <laughs> because... He's waiting for us to humble ourselves. I can't do anything to you humble yourself. So years ago, I had to really come to the Lord on several things and say, Lord, help me like what your word says in Psalm 31. The psalmist said, I've become like a broken vessel. That's what the psalmist says. Psalm 31, check it out. I've become like a broken vessel. We just thought, I'm just here now. What do you want me to do? You know you're there when you're like, Lord, I'm just here. How can I serve Pastor Schaefer and Pastor Jess? How can I serve the team here? Lord, I'm a broken vessel. And God goes, oh, excuse me, angels, hello. Angels, hello. We've got a live one down here at Ocean's Church in North Perth. We've got a live one here. They have just broken to God's will. And God goes, yeah, your Isaac relationships, your Isaac purpose, your Isaac calling, your Isaac is all coming along. And God says it's going to come in the place you thought, well, it can't be here because it doesn't suit me at this time. And God goes, that's right. It didn't suit 
Abraham and Sarah at 100 to go, hey, get ready for the crash. Sarah, you're nearly dead. <laughs> but you're in the crash. She's like, I am not going on the crash roster at 100. <laughs> God's like, get ready. That's about to happen. God's always inconvenient. Inconvenient. Now most of what we're doing as a church is come out of inconvenience. In 19, 2006, God told me to go to Rwanda with compassion. Go visit. I did the pastoral thing. Yay. Go to Africa first time. Got my shots. Go to Rwanda. We had 125 children in Rwanda we're sponsoring. And uh, I um, thought, yay, I've ticked the box. I was absolutely affected so deeply by Rwanda, the genocide, people losing their families, 5,000 children who were sponsored by Compassion in Rwanda were killed during that genocide. So I'm there in 2006, that happened in 1994. And then I meet the first little boy that someone I sponsored in 1994. And, uh, sorry, in two, we sponsored me in 1994, I met him in 2006. Anyway, Sue and I, I come back home and uh, on the plane, I meet an amazing Christian, an amazing woman doing a whole lot of medical work, uh, serving women in that Uganda. And I asked her what church she went to. She told me she didn't go to church, she wasn't a Christian. And she was giving her life for people in Uganda. I was like, oh my gosh. I told the Lord, how good of you to put me on the plane next to her to witness to her because she so needed you, Lord, because you're doing a good job, but she really needs you. And here's what the Lord said to me, Jared, you know me. This woman doesn't know me. And he said to me, you know me, but look what she who doesn't know me does for me. I sat there for half an hour, shattered. <laughs> and then I, as I got off, I said to the lady, what do you do now? She said, I'm driving a truck with two of my girlfriends to Tanzania. And we're taking medical supplies into Tanzania. She wasn't Christian at all. And I was like, oh my gosh, this woman. So guess what? God said to me, help the children. Help the children. She doesn't even know me, Jared. Look what she does for me, and you know me. So guess what started a journey? I went back, back, back. We now sponsor 1,300 children in Rwanda. The first little boy, the first boy. Just, have you got a picture for me, you guys? First picture. This is me. Look at me. Ministry's harsh. <laughs> takes a toll. <laughs> Ministry takes a toll, people. <laughs> anyway, this is Justin, the first of the 1,300 and then that little boy who I, this is him today with me. So Justin, uh, we started a journey with him at 19. He was 19 years old. His family, most of them were killed in the genocide. His grandparents were killed and burnt. He's never seen a photo of them. Their bodies left in the church and he lost most of his family and he was dying of malnutrition when Sue and I sponsored him. When he was 19, God says to me, go back to Rwanda and get Justin and bring him to your house. I was like, excuse me? Kingdom City, Riverview? <laughs> yeah, ring Hillsong, I don't know. Ring someone. Anyway, now I had to tell my wife that. You ready? I prayed for four months and God said to me, go and get Justin. So I had to go and say to my wife, you know, the kids respond. She goes, yeah, I love them all. And I said to her, every time we'd go there, I said, there's something with Justin. He only spoke Kenyawanan in French. So it was always through translated to, he's about 18. And I said to Sue, um, yeah, you're not gonna, you're gonna struggle with this because our son Jordan was getting married that year, last year at home. And I had to tell my wife, God said, get him and bring him to our house this year. So I can say, God said, go and do it. Sue goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, God said to go to Rwanda, get Justin, move him to our house and put him in the Bible college and give him a scholarship. And she said, not this year, Jordan's getting married. And I went, I know but it's this year because I've been praying about it for four months. And God said, not the following year, it's this year. 
She was like, you're joking. I went, I'm not. <laughs> we need divorced. Anyway, <laughs> no. But listen, everybody. Breaking. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Nothing in it for me. My wife's now fuming with me. Justin's family, because we sponsored him so long, they said to me in their culture that I was basically a parent anyway, because Sue and I had done extra things for him. We moved into our house, put him in the Bible college. The year he's in the Bible college, the couple who now pastor our church in Zambia were the deans of the Bible college only that year. Justin went off as a missionary after Bible college and a scholarship, went and served that couple. He couldn't believe that it was them because he'd served them in the college. I couldn't believe it. It was God. He became an intern pastor. He's now 28. He's on full-time staff as a pastor. Now listen to this. Here's the miracle, right? If you do the Isaac life, if you do the Isaac life, if you pay the cost, Justin has become my fourth son. Yeah. He travels with me in Africa. He oversees so much of our work in Zambia now. The little boy, I kept saying, so it's this kid. He can't even speak English. I'm telling you, he's anointed. My wife would say, I love all the kids. I said, yeah, it's him. <laughs> my prophetic there. So now, Justin, um, we had to buy land in Zambia. And so I said to Just, Just, can you go? He's preaching at church here now in Zambia. Our church is 600 now there. And I said, can you go and get me some land? And the only land before the pandemic was 1.2 million. That was in the area. That would be the rich people, the poor people, the middle class people. Everybody could come to the church. I wanted us right there. So I said, Just, can you go and get it? And he says to me, okay, Dad. So he just, okay. He goes, right? This boy number one of 1,300 children. He goes to this land that's available. It's on the same road as the United Nations. The United Nations building is one kilometer that way. It's the second best suburb in Cabalongo. It's on 1.2 million. The guys got on the market for 800 after the pandemic. Chinese offered him 650, and then Justin walks in with one of our leaders from Zambia. And the man has a big heart towards the Rwandan people and what happened in Justin losing his grandparents. It's a miracle. So Justin goes in, and he's also a business guy, Justin. He's quite the business guy. He's quiet but shrewd. So the man says to him, what do you want my land for? And he said, I want it for a church for Jesus. And the guy goes, I'm Catholic, same Jesus. And he goes, anyway, he goes, anyway, um, where are you from? You're not Zambian. And Justin goes, I'm from Rwanda, sir. And he goes, Rwanda. And the man's about 70. He says, Rwanda. He goes, my boy, where's your grandparents? I'm a grandfather. Where's your grandparents? And Justin goes, they murdered them. They left one alive. He died at 92. They, they le left him alive of the four to remember the macheting of his children so that he would suffer and then die. And so Justin tells the man, and the man goes, I'm heartbroken for you, my boy. You have no grandparents? He said, no, no aunties, cousins. So many people killed. And the guy's like, oh, I'm devastated for you. And the man's like, oh. So he's taken a liking to Justin already. But because Justin's Rwandan, I don't realize I've sent him in the Holy Spirit to somebody who has a heart for that nation. Miracle. So Justin picks up. This guy is soft towards me. I've got to make an offer for the land. The business side kicks in. So the man says to Justin, the Chinese corporation just have offered me $650,000 cash US. What would you like to offer me, my boy? And Justin says, sir, I'd like to offer you 300000 US. And the man goes... Son, what are you talking about? The land is on at 800. He goes, they're offering me 650,000 cash. The first little boy who God said, go back to Rwanda, go back to Rwanda, which I've been to 15 times now. Go to Rwanda, go to Rwanda. Sponsor more children, sponsor more children. Justin goes, no, sir, I'd like to offer you 300,000. And he's like, 
So the guy walks up off the, the, up the land and the other Zambian leader just was like, oh my gosh. And the guy's like, his grandparents are dead. His family's been killed. He's from Rwanda. Oh, 300,000. Oh, and it's a church for you. <laughs> the other leader's showing me what happened. Then he comes back and he says to Justin, all right, 300,000 for Jesus and for, and for your grandparents. I have the title deed. We're going to build, we can build a 2,000 seat auditorium on there, which we'll get to. The first stage will start uh, in about two months. Usually it takes months to get buildings approved in Zambia. They approved it in three weeks. So we bought the land for 300,000. I have the title deed. By the end of the year, we will have a 500 seat auditorium, stage one of what we're doing. And it came through my Isaac. The route to what God would call us to do into Zambia was here. And when I said to my wife, we need to move him into our house, she's like, you must be insane. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not. And now he just got us the land for a quarter of the price. And we just had heart for the house offering. He's out ministering all the business people, and we hit our target straight off. So the miracle, everybody, is in the obedience. The miracle is in the obedience. What is God wanting you to give up? Pride is a progression of self-celebration while humility is a progression of thankfulness to God, even though I would not choose what he's asking me to do currently. Worship team, come with me. It's in the progression. Your miracle is in staying planted, maturing, walking with people when you don't like them, walking with them when you love them, walking them when it's a great day, serving people when you don't feel like it. And you know how you hear Christians say, I went to a church and I got offended? Oh my gosh, I'm offended every day of my life <laughs> with myself. I can't get on with me. Can you get on with you all the time? I can't get on with me. How am I going to get on with everybody else? Listen to what the Lord told me years ago. I say, Lord, from my background, these people all keep offending me. They're not sensitive enough to me. I've got such a background. Lord, they all keep offending me. Why aren't they more sensitive to me? Here's what the Lord said to me. He said, Jared, I will never treat you like a victim. I was like... Why not? <laughs> Do. And he said to me, because I see you as victorious. I see you and Sue now as victorious. I see your boys as victorious. So I treat you as a victor in Jesus' name. So here's what he told me. Ready, everybody? Going to save you all. A lot of pain. He said to me, when you're offended, it's actually not about the offense. It's about control. This is my prayer time. God said to me, every time you're offended, it's because you are trying to control how people speak to you how they respond to you, how they act towards you, and whether they pay you back with a coffee when you bought them three coffees. And God said, I need you to wipe the slate of all of that and forgive people as you want to be forgiven. God said to me, do you want mercy? I went, yeah, I do. He goes, then give it. Do you want people to sow into you? He goes, then sow into them. And he said, but every time you're offended, it's because you're trying to control that leader, that person, that person in the home group, he said, stop controlling them. God said, I can do no miracles in your life while you're trying to control people. Don't try and control Sue. Don't try and control them. But what we need to do is love people and realize that people are going to do things that we don't always like. But what we do is we become a broken vessel. Keep pouring out Jesus. If you keep saying, Lord, I want to be more like you. <laughs> wow. 
Because if you're saying that, then the Lord will give you a rich opportunity to forgive somebody at the coffee time after their service. <laughs> because every time I said, Lord, I want to be more like you, he's like, serve them, help them. Go to Rwanda, move Justin into your house, do that every time it's some kind of sacrifice. And then God goes, surprise, here's the land. Surprise, here's the blessing. Surprise, here's your children serving God. Surprise, surprise. And you're thinking the whole time, I never thought this was ever going to work ever. And God goes, I know. Because I've called you, listen everybody, because I've called you to go by faith. How do you know what church to be in? 1 Corinthians 12, 18. It says God sets the members in the body. God sets the members in the body. God sets the members in the body. So what do Christians do? Yeah, I'm kind of shopping for a church at the moment. That would be nice if it was in the Bible. God sets the members in the body. God sets the members. So the question Christians have who are maturing, who are becoming broken vessels is, where did you set me? And the Lord goes to me, Joondalup, Western Australia. When there was nothing happening in Joondalup at that time, Western Australia, I've set you there. Because God said, from there, much will happen. Isaacs will come. Isaac will be born from Joondalup. What is God wanting to birth from the place he set you? I don't know. But I'm telling you this, it'll be great. It'll be great. If you say, Lord, I'm up for your setting I'm up for what you have for me. Help me, Lord, to humble myself before you. If you're broken, welcome to my life and Sue's life. We get you. We understand. The worst thing God did to me seven years ago, start a recovery center for me, Jared. No, I'm not. My dad was terrible. I grew up with alcoholics, drugs my whole childhood. My father destroyed my childhood and my life. God goes, you overcome evil with good. Start one. We started it. You ready for this? <laughs> 350 men have now been through. 350. There's about 50 in our church. We've helped their wives. We've helped their children. The government is now on board. <laughs> this thing that I did not want to do, I'm not doing it. Last year, they gave us a million dollars towards it. And a man who I told, God told me to come to you. I don't want to start this. I don't want to do this. But God said, come to you. He, and he's got a huge property that they now are on. And he said to me, what did God tell you to do? He said, to ask you to help. And he said, funny you should ask me. I said, why? I've never seen you around anybody with problems. He said, my parents worked in a recovery center for years. And I went, he gave me his property 10 years ago, right out near Ballsbrook, big property. It's worth millions of dollars, all the bedrooms, whole thing. He gives it to me for a dollar a year. <sighs> Go to June Love, Jared. I don't want to. They don't play guitar. <laughs> God's that Isaac, Isaac's coming. Isaac's coming, Isaac's coming, miracles coming, miracles coming, miracles coming, miracles coming, miracles coming, miracles coming, but just love and serve who I put before you. And God goes, watch the Isaacs that come from there. I never knew when I went to Rwanda, I went there to help the kids. I never knew God would give me a son. It's one thing to have your own sons. It's a whole other thing for God to give you spiritual son and that boy is my son as much as my boys are and he knows me as much as they do and now he's walking with me in the purpose of God for Africa and eventually for his nation of Rwanda. Can we be upstanding? Thank you worship team.
Let me just pray over everybody right now. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for every person here. I just declare, Lord, let the Isaac anointing come on everybody. Father, help everybody to resist the Ishmael life. Father, that's easy, that we choose, that we describe, that, Lord, help us to, Father, not choose the Ishmael home group and the Ishmael church that we come up with. Lord, I pray, help everybody see that you have set them. Help them to move, Lord, from scaffolding to becoming part of the building. Thank you, Lord, that you helped Sue and I from our brokenness to move from scaffolding in every area of our lives becoming part of the building as well, Lord, the body of Christ, Father. And Lord, the body of Christ here in Perth. We just, I just pray, Father, for everybody now. Help them, Lord. Help us to surrender to Your goodness and grace, even when we don't feel it. Help us, Lord, when we're not feeling it, we're not liking it. It's not what we choose, but Father, it's what You choose. Thank You for giving Sue and I, Justin. What an incredible son. What an incredible man of God hidden behind a child sponsorship, Father. What an incredible thing, Lord, you did in planning us in June, like when it was so quiet, we wondered, would anything ever happen here? But Father, you had a whole plan that even now, Lord, those 350 on the way to 400 men would be, Lord, receiving you. Father, 90% of them receiving you as Lord. Father, we just, we didn't know, God, we couldn't see it. But Lord, you saw it. Help us to go by faith. Help us to go by faith. Help every person here to go by faith to speak faith, to live faith, to lift their voices, to praise You, to speak. Lord, I pray, let them speak new faith in the Name of Jesus, in the Name of Jesus, in the Name of Jesus. Let there be miracles in lives right now. Miracles in the leadership team. Miracles in change of motive, Lord. Help our motives, Father, to be pure, that we're, Lord, we're not in it for us, we're in it for You. We're in it for You, Lord. This is not the house of, it is the house of opportunity, but Lord, more than that, Father, it's the house of the where we lay down our life to You, God. And in losing our life, Father, I just declare, we don't have to fight for an opportunity. Whereas they lose our lives, we find our lives. So I just thank You. Let everybody find it in the years, the decades to come, Lord. Thank you for listening to the Oceans Church podcast. For more information, visit oceans.church.